<clears throat> so today I want to talk about, um, it's not going to be a preaching. Um, I really just want to be able to revisit this truth um, of justification and because it's at the bedrock of our faith, um, justification by faith and faith alone and the imputation of Christ's righteousness is the doctrine that every cult will attack. Um, a cult, I don't think that there's necessarily a, a good consensus on the definition of cult as with many other terms um these terms can be very nuanced and um can at times be hard to define but i think a really good working definition um is that a cult is basically a a faith that deviates or compromises or taints these two central truths, these these two central aspects to our faith. And number one, it compromises or taints the the person of Christ. So, what does that mean? It means that we are going to um, a cult will say that Jesus isn't God, or another cult will say that Jesus is not man. They might say he's merely an angel. He's an angelic being. Well, not merely because he's not. They will try to reduce his divinity to an angel or mere human um, or purely God. Um, The Gnostic sect uh, within the early church um, had claimed that Jesus did not rise from the dead um, bodily. And so... They claimed he was spirit. And this is why John writes to the church in his first letter and says, if any man claims that Jesus did not come in the flesh, this is the spirit of Antichrist. Um, So um, they, again, claim that Jesus was mere spirit. And so spirit doesn't die. So what, how is it that then indirectly, contradicts and undermines the doctrine of of the death of christ right and the resurrection and the devil's going to always assault the person of christ and then secondly the work of christ so the work of christ encompasses his 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 death on the cross his resurrection and his ascension right because why if the devil can taint the image of who god is then we're not serving the same god and then if he attacks the work of Christ, then there is no true salvation. And so what are cults saying today? Cults are saying that Jesus, that you're saved with Jesus plus works. Now, may it be well stressed and understood that we do not say that works don't matter. Works certainly do matter. There's this very famous statement, and it's that we are saved by faith alone, um, by Christ alone, 
by grace alone, but that saving faith is truly never alone, because it is always accompanied by works. Sometimes you will work more than others. Sometimes the works won't be so clear. Sometimes the work will be imperfect, including our fruit. And sometimes I think in a real world, because this is not a ideal utopian world, we at times drop our fruit baskets and we lose it. <laughs> um, but it doesn't take away from the fact that we are truly born of God and that we're justified by faith apart from works. That is the basis. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, is going to maintain that we are justified by faith plus works. Or some others uh, will say that we are saved by grace, but we're kept by works. But this isn't the gospel. From start to finish, it is, the, is by faith. Paul says in Romans 1, it says the righteousness from God that is apart from works that is re revealed by faith. And he cites uh, Habakkuk and he says the just shall live by faith. Obviously, they're not opposed to each other, right? In the sense that faith, again, always produces works. And it's married the works, but it's not the basis of our salvation. And this is very important. Well, you know what? Let me rephrase that. It's not even that faith is the basis of our salvation. Christ is most fundamentally our basis for salvation. But faith is the instrument that connects us to Christ. And there's a reason for that. And we're not going to get into the reason, but simply put, it's that no flesh may boast. Because if it is of works, there's no longer of grace. And we would have an occasion to boast if we've worked for it, because we would receive our just wages. But since it is the case that it is the gift of God, all we can do merely is receive it with gratitude and faith. But so here's the sequential order. Number one, before faith comes, this is the, the order. Number one is the gospel has to be preached. And it is the gospel that invites us to trust in Christ for salvation. So this is the content that is to be believed. Secondly is regeneration. This is the work of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to respond to that invitation. Right? The gospel goes forth. Jesus says, my sheep know me and they hear my voice. The stranger they will not follow. That all the Father has given me will come to me, and they shall never perish. And the Holy Spirit's work is to make it possible for us to come to Christ. Right? The, the preacher's task is to herald the gospel. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit that helps us to believe, or makes it possible to believe the gospel. And then thirdly is the con is conversion aspect. And conversion is that we did respond. It is the act of the believing. In conversion, we do respond trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Right? So the gospel preaches the forgiveness of sins. Regeneration, um, the Holy Spirit works in regeneration to help us to believe the invitation to be forgiven of our sins. Conversion is the act of believing but justification is the act of God that declares us righteous when we believe. 
So justification is that doctrine that is associated on the father's part, where the father as judge, Christ is our advocate, obviously, but the father as our judge declares us not guilty, declares us forgiven, declares us just, declares us not condemned. And quickly, I just want to speak about how just as today there there ha- there are disputes about this doctrine of justification by faith um as well as in the early church you see it as 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 um early as the judaizers who were infiltrating the camps and were um ill affecting the minds of those that had believed the gospel and paul tells the galatian church he says who has co- who has bewitched you you did start out well you know, and, and he pleads with them that, that their labor be not in vain. And people were coming into the camp and into the church and began declaring a, 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 a damnable gospel, a false gospel. To which Paul then responds and says, even if we or an angel of light comes to you with a gospel other than that which we have preached, let him be anathema. That means let him be accursed. Those are very strong. That's strong language there. And it's Paul's jealous, uh, godly jealousy over the church that desires them not to be moved. Um, and then also we see this very uh, significantly during the time of the Reformation, when the Catholic Church, right, were was um, promulgating and indoctrinating people in a view of justification by works. And uh, Martin Luther famously is is known for protesting the Catholic Church of not only their doctrine of justification by works, but as well as indulgences and um, other practices as well. But the fight hasn't stopped. The fight is here today as well. And the fight continues. And what is it a fight over? A fight of over beliefs fight over beliefs beliefs can be stated or they can be kept to self but when beliefs are stated then that's when it becomes a doctrine or that's when we are attempting to indoctrinate others and indoctrination carries a bad rep right but whenever you seek to teach someone to adopt your view you're basically indoctrinating them you're attempting to get them to believe the doctrine right so indoctrination is not inherently bad but that's what basically happens and so the fight is over indoctrinating people that's basically what this fight is about and there are other false gospels a false gospel of lgbtism marxism relativism pluralism postmodernism modernism scientism and you go down the line of all these other isms from A to B, A to Z. And they're all just tactful maneuvers from the devil to get people to move away from this gospel of truth. <clears throat> so the devil's going to fight for your mind, your heart, and your speech. Because beliefs do have consequences. Beliefs are not just tied to those intellectual elites in their academic towers theorizing or speculating about 
ideas and ideals and and philosophies and and it stays there and it goes no further no it, it trickles down into society and society adopts these views and um and it has consequences anything from gang banging or or um pornography or drugs that all begins with beliefs and affections right so this is a fight and and the fight for us as the church is to both maintain and to proclaim that's that's the task there but let us get into and we will see why there is a fight because justification by faith is an entire act of god Man always wants something to boast about. Man wants something to take to pride himself in. And man takes wants to take credit for a lot. But in this gospel of justification by faith, man has no occasion to boast. Right? God alone gets the glory through this. That's that's why there's a fight, because the devil wants to strip the Lord of his glory. And he invites man to partake of the glory of this world. He essentially says, through all the different masks of all these other false gospels, here, just bow down to me. I'll give you all the glory of, of Jerusalem or America or, or, or being in the cinema or the media. I'll give all this to you if you would just bow down and believe this false uh, system, this false doctrine. So let's let's put some definition because... Defining terms, people don't like this because they think that you're playing some um, intellectual game or you, you think that you're high and mighty or when you start getting into being very precise about your words. People don't like it for different reasons. People know that, it, know, know that when you begin defining terms that you begin, that you will start creating dividing lines. People don't want you to define. People are okay with you saying God. You, they just don't want you to define who God is. Because once you start defining, then that means, oh, okay, you're talking about the God of the Bible. Yeah, we're not cool with that. All right. <clears throat> Hold on. You guys able to hear me? Okay. Um, so defining the term justification. Number one. It is the instantaneous legal act of God in which God thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. So once again, it is an instantaneous legal act of God. And in that act, he both declares us as forgiven and he considers or reckons Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And number two is he declares us righteous in his sight. So it's not only that he forgives because you can, you can forgive and of, of your past deeds of all the evil you've done, but where do you stand as of now? It's not enough that we would be forgiven. We have to be declared righteous, right? 
as far as the judge is concerned, when he when when someone that is tried for a crime stands before his tribunal and he says you're forgiven or you're pardoned, right? Or you're declared innocent, that's not enough to say that he is righteous. All all it is all is it is to say that the sin in question hasn't been committed. Right? But we will get to that later. In the Greek it's uh dikaiu and it means to declare righteous. Let me give you an example in Luke chapter 7, verse 29, when this exact word is used. Quote, when they heard this, all the people and tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now notice, when they declared, end quote, when they declared God, when they justified God, that doesn't mean that they literally made God righteous. Rather, they declared him to be righteous. And it's not that their declaration, um, that because of their declaration that it was therefore true. It was. It had always been true of God, but they're simply pointing out, they're simply declaring what is true of the Lord, namely that he is righteous, right? So they didn't make him righteous. God had always been righteous, but they declared him to be righteous. And in a very similar way, it's not that the legal declaration when God declares us to be righteous, that that pronunciation, that declaration, therefore changes our character and, and, and that, that we are therefore righteous. No, it, it's a forensic declaration. So, so in other words, we are not to uh, confuse sanctification with justification. These are two separate things. Right? We're not sanctified in order to be justified. We are justified and therefore are continually made sanctified. <clears throat> Let me cite another passage in Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Romans 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Notice, doesn't say, and to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the godly, says, who justifies the ungodly. So that means God is declaring one who was tainted by sin, um, indicted, um, was practically guilty. He was guilty. But he doesn't work. He doesn't work righteousness in order to be declared righteous. Rather, he believes. He believes God's righteousness. And therefore is declared righteous, right? That's what the text says. Let, let, let us put it this way. If it was a Catholic doctrine, it would, it would say, and to the one who works and believes, who justifies those who have merit, their faith is counted as righteous. That's what a works-based gospel would sound like. See the difference? But it says very clearly, and to the one, which means us, you, anybody who would believe, does not work, 
That means, in other words, I'm coming to God. I have nothing to offer him but my sin. But believes in him. And, and obviously on the side, that means all that he has done for us in Christ, but believes on him who justifies. What's that word justify mean again? Instantaneously declares not guilty and declares just. He justifies, he declares innocent, the ungodly. Why is the person ungodly? Because he has worked ungodliness. Right? The Lord had taken Abraham, who came from the land of Ur, where there was nothing but paganism. Abraham was a pagan, surrounded by paganism. He had taken him out of the strange land. And what does it say? That he believed God and counted to him an ungodly pagan as righteousness. So number uh, here's another point is justification is the positive to saying that there is no condemnation. Romans H uh, chapter eight, verse one, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the negative to say that we are justified. To say that we are justified is the positive to say we are not condemned. Right? Or Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 34. If you turn there, what you will see, Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 34. says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So notice there, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Okay, so the what's what's in question here is, well, this is obviously a rhetorical question, right? Paul's not really necessitating an answer in response to that. But the question is, who can lay a charge against God's elect? Now, let, let's, phrase, let's, let's phrase it this way. L- what if I were to ask you or ask anybody else, let us take a video camera around your life and, and be able to record your heart, your thoughts, and all that you've done throughout the week. And then let's see who can lay a charge against you. A lot of people. In fact, you'll be the first one to convict yourself if you're humble and you're honest and say, there's a lot that you can lay to my charge, right? In fact, just today, maybe we don't even have to go so far to look into our hearts or look into our minds and the devil, the church, ourselves, and God himself can lay many things to our charge and declares guilty, right? But notice his response. This is the answer to the question. It is God who justifies. In other words, this you have to understand all that he argued before. And his argument was that God has justified us in Christ, right? So the answer to the question is, No one can lay a charge. The devil can't do it. 
Our own hearts can't successfully condemn us because God has successfully declared us not guilty in Jesus Christ. It is God who justifies, and we already know what his declaration is, and it is not guilty. And he says, who is to condemn? The devil? Our own hearts? God? No. Why? Because the one who died, he says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. Death there implies condemnation. He was condemned in our place, right? So why, what is the basis for our not being condemned? What is the grounds for us not receiving the just condemnation that was due to us? Is because someone already died for us. There is no more penalty, right? It was a once and for all act. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so he conquered the grave. And so him being our our lamb, our Passover lamb, is also our high priest. He continues to make intercession for us. So his blood still speaks. He as high priest is applying it to the altar in heaven before the Father. Right? Let let me give you the let me give you this uh statement. I wanna I wanna <clears throat> hone in on this idea that justification, God's declaring us not guilty, is a legal and forensic act. It is something external to us. It's not that God looks upon and and the the point inciting Romans chapter um, four verse five and Romans chapter eight verse one and Romans chapter eight verses thirty three through thirty four is to ground our justification and ground and base our base the truth of there being no more condemnation, basing it in the work of Christ and not in our own righteousness or our own sanctity or our own holiness. Because if the basis was our own holiness or our own righteousness or our own obedience, then there could successfully be a charge laid against us. Because in truth, we are not righteous. In truth, we are not perfect. And so us being not perfect means that we're imperfect. And if we're imperfect, that means we didn't measure up to that perfect standard of God. And if we don't measure up, what is that? It's missing the mark, right? Harmatia is what it means in the Greek, sin, missing the mark. We missed it. And therefore can have the charge of us being sinners, of us being declared unrighteous, of us being declared guilty, that can successfully be laid to our charge if what is in view is us as a person. But Paul is saying who is in view is Jesus. What is in view is the cross. What is in view is his death and his resurrection. And that is what bases our salvation. And so this is what John Murray, a great Uh, theologian and commentator says he says regeneration is an act of god in us 
That's regeneration. That's when the Holy Spirit quickens us. But justification is a judgment of God with respect to us. So it's not in us. It's to us. The distinction is like that of the distinction between the act of a surgeon and the act of a judge. The surgeon, when he removes an inward cancer, does something in us. Once again, he's paralleling that to regeneration. He's comparing regeneration to that of the work of a surgeon. He says, that is not what a judge does. He gives us a verdict regarding our judicial status. If we are innocent, he declares accordingly. The purity of the gospel is bound up with this recognition of this distinction. If justification is confused with regeneration or sanctification, then the door is open for the perversion of the gospel at its center. Justification is still the article of the standing or falling of the church. So in other words, he's saying this. Regeneration can be compared to that work of uh, the, the, the work of a surgeon can be compared to that of regeneration because regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, purifying us, quickening us, making us alive together with Christ. But regeneration is concerned with our sanctification. Regeneration is not concerned with our justification. But the act of a judge is not performing a work in us, but declaring something to us, right? He's declaring something external to us. He's making a pronouncement, and the pronouncement is this. You are not guilty. So, is there any scriptural basis for this? If you turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. And it's not merely that God declares us not guilty. But he declares us just. He declares us righteous. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And the word of the Lord reads, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. There's that word again, counts or reckons. Hold on. So David is speaking in the Psalms, and this is what Paul is doing. He's citing the Psalms here. He speaks for the blessing of the one whom God counts, or he reckons, or he considers, or he regards righteousness. So God is counting us righteous apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So the Lord not counting our sin implies that we have sinned. But as we see in verse 6, Paul is saying that David is speaking of the blessedness of the man that God has declared, despite that man's sin, 
as righteous apart from anything he's ever done. And despite the sins he has committed, God covers them. He pardons them. He forgives all his, the man's lawlessness, but that's not enough. He doesn't merely forgive him. He counts him as righteous. He, the Lord refuses to impute sin or reckon that man's sin, but rather God reckons Christ's righteousness to that man. He, he regards the righteousness of Christ having been imputed to that man. <clears throat> and if we look at Romans chapter 4, verse 3, It says, for what does the scriptures say? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there is again that theme of belief or of faith. <clears throat> or Romans chapter 5, verse 19. You will turn there. I think this is a very clear passage that further uh, drives this point at home. For as by the one man's disobedience, it's talking about Adam here, the many were made sinners. So wait, you mean we were made sinners because of Adam? So you, you mean to tell me we were not made sinners because of our sin? No, we weren't made sinners because of our sin. We were made sinners because of Adam's sin, because Adam was our federal head. We were born of the, the Adamic race. <clears throat> and as a result, we've inherited his sinful genetics, if you will. We've inherited the infection and the cancer of sin. So we can say that Adam's sin was imputed to us. We were reckoned as sinners apart from our works, whether good or bad, in Adam. But similarly, it says in the following clause, it says, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Wow, so we will be made righteous, not by our righteousness, but by the one whom, who has worked righteousness, namely Jesus Christ. And since we are in Jesus, the old man that was in Adam had died. And when that man had died, he died with Jesus. So Christ was condemned, Jesus was condemned, and, and we died with Jesus. And that is why it can be said that we have been born again, right? We are a new man in Christ that is counted righteous because we are in Christ. We were previously in Adam, declared not uh, declared unrighteous without having worked anything of our own, whether good or bad. Similarly, in Jesus Christ, whether good or bad, we have been declared just, righteous. Now, here are the critics. Here are the people who might even declare, who, who might, 
who might say they believe the gospel, but they really don't believe it in their heart. They will come as critics and say, well, you're just giving people a license to sin. If you're saying that, then that means it doesn't matter what we do. Ah, don't go that far. That's exactly what Paul's critics said to him. Let us do evil that good may come. Right? That's You're getting it twisted. Right? That's not what this is about. The one who has been declared just will want to live justly. So... <clears throat> Here's a good question. How can God truthfully declare that we have uh, wait, hold on. How can God truthfully declare us to be not guilty but righteous when in fact we are unrighteous? God can, can declare us to be just because he imputes Christ's righteousness to us. And this is exactly what we were saying. When we say that God imputes Christ's righteousness to us, it means that God thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us or regards it as belonging to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says this. All right, we just read that. For if, by, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of the grace and the free gift of righteousness Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So notice that it is a gift, and the gift is righteousness. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so again that's first corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 what has god what has jesus christ became for us in god righteousness so our righteousness doesn't become our righteousness christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness All right. This perfect righteousness is external to us, not internal to us. And I, I think I think that this is the case, right? Because everywhere throughout the the, the gospels or the letters written to the church, the Bible speaks of a confidence that we can have right we can now have watch turns the turn to hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 hebrews chapter 10 verse 22 <clears throat> And the word of the Lord reads, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So if we need to be cleansed, that means that there's a part of us that isn't clean or may be susceptible to become tainted yet again. Right, so we need to be washed. But but what does it say very clearly here? That, that there's a part in our faith that affords for us to be able to draw near to God with a full assurance of faith. In other words, we can have confidence. But if, if our salvation is based off our own goodness, then wherein lies our confidence? Our confidence is nothing more than a mere delusion. We're elated or we're arrogantly puffed up and have far beyond. we've, We've gone beyond the measure of who we really are. We're extending, we're giving us, how can I say this? We're giving ourselves too much more credit than what is actually due to us. If our confidence is in us. But our confidence isn't in us. Our confidence is in God. Our confidence is in the finished work of Christ. Our confidence lies within the fact that God has forensically, legally declared us to be righteous and not guilty. Entirely because we're in Christ. And we've been secured in him by his death, by his blood, by his resurrection. <clears throat> Bible says that in Romans, or I think it might be Second Corinthians, uh, chapter 4, verse 25. It says, he was given over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. He was given over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. No, that's, I'm wrong there. It's not, it might be Romans chapter 4, verse 25. But in any case, I know it's there. Um, But yeah, it's Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. One last one last passage. I really like this one. Romans chapter five verses nine through ten through um ten. No, verse eight through ten. But God shows us love for us in that while while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. We've been justified, declared not guilty by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are, sa- we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. <clears throat> Amen. So I think that this doctrine here should lead us to joy. 
Um, I like what John Piper says. He says that we are, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And I think while I affirm that fasting and praying are successful victory in, in our war and uh, cosmic rulers and all this other stuff. Um, I think that the greatest tool is understanding that we have been justified in Christ. That the devil's accusatory power has lost its sting. Right? Because in our worst of days, there has to be a basis that is an anchor. We aren't the rock. Right? Because if my foundation is as good as I am, then my house is t- and my house will come tumbling down. But it is said that Christ is our rock. He is our anchor. And so what prevents me from being tossed to and fro is Christ. He is the answer to every problem. Am I assured that I will be kept? Christ is my answer. He is my hope. Can I be assured that I'm forgiven? My righteousness is not my hope. Christ is my hope. Right? God is the answer to all. Christ to all. And so he is sure. And so, hold on. Spiritual warfare, um, victory is attained by acknowledging that. Now there's the practical outworking, obviously, of praying and and pushing through and getting the spirit of heaviness off of us and, and stuff like that. Um, but that is all associated with the practical side of things, right? What stands true for the believer, regardless of what he does practically, is that he is secured in Christ, right? He's not trying to work for something. He already has it. It's a gift. He has it. Right, I'm not trying to toy. I'm not trying to beat my back and sweat or get myself to sweat drops of blood and and do all these uh, religious things in order to achieve what I already now have. Right, so we we war from a place of rest, and I think that's the rest that Jesus ultimately gives us. He Himself is our Sabbath. Says whoever's weary and heavy laden, let him take upon my yoke. Says it is easy and it is light, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what the writer of Hebrews talks about in the fourth chapter. He says, Let us therefore labor to enter into his rest. Right? But people who do not enter that rest do not enter because what what according to the writer of Hebrews says, because of unbelief. But we are not those who draw back in unbelief, but we are those who enter therein by faith. So may this be a reminder that we live by grace, we live by faith, we live by Christ, and all unto the glory of God, right? And so this this is our joy, this is our hope, this is our anchor, 
So when we're assaulted, that this serves as the helmet of salvation that helps us. And we take up the shield of faith of this truth to extinguish those fiery darts of the devil. And um, we refuse to allow him to get us in a place of apostasy. Uh, in the sense that we don't believe this, right? So 